Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Amen. I mean, you may be seated. Well, we're going to be shouting Jesus, aren't we? That's good stuff. Hey, turn with me to James chapter 4. We're going to continue in our time of uh, studying through the book of James. Uh, we're finishing up chapter 4 uh, today. We'll be kind of finishing up the, the whole book leading up to Easter. Uh, but James chapter 4 this morning. And as we start, I want, to, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you were out of control? Right? That, that moment when you really just had no control over a circumstance. It can be a frightening thing, can it? I was uh, just out of college. I was living in Hendersonville. My parents lived in West Tennessee, and it was Christmas time. And so I was, I was making the drive back home to spend some time with family. Now, you know, right, Tennessee weather can be a little tricky. You guys, you, you know this, right? If you've been here, even if, you, if you're new to the area, uh, what we'll have is these moments where there is rain followed by a cold front that comes in, and the rain turns to... Uh, what they call frozen precipitation. We won't call it snow because it's not really what it is, right? We don't really know what it is. It's just kind of this mixture of, of this frozen thing called water that, yeah, anyway. So it was one of those forecasts. It, it was a Friday, and I was privileged enough to be driving my dad's Astro van, right? I thought I was the coolest guy in the world. And this was no Astrovan, ordinary. This was the extended version, you know, that they had the extra room in the back for the luggage. And it's a rear-wheel drive. And so what I decided to do was uh, for added protection, because we don't know when this is going to happen or if it's even going to happen, I went to the store and I bought these 50-pound bags of kitty litter and stacked them in the back of the van to add weight to the back wheels so that if it did get bad, I'd have more traction, right? Thinking through this, I'm, I'm well-prepared. And so I'm driving down I-40, heading west, all right? It's raining, it's cold, but it's raining. And this is, you know, back in the day when cars didn't have thermos, like uh, temperature, like you had no idea how cold it was outside. You're just looking at the windshield to see what's happening. And you know, when water hits your windshield, it just kind of splatters and rolls down and just, you know, windshield wipers clear it out. But then as it starts to change, when it hits the windshield, what does it do? It splats, right? It makes kind of a splat spot and it just kind of sticks there for a second. Then your windshield clears it and you're like, okay, this is starting to happen. And so we're driving down, let's say we, I am driving down the interstate, 65, 70 miles an hour, trying not to push it too hard in this dangerous weather that we're potentially going to have. But I start looking around and I'm like, man, 18 wheelers, man, they're blowing by me. Cars are blowing by me. I'm like, man, we're good. We're good. Right. Next thing I know, I'm driving my Astro van down the interstate, I-40, right? I-40. Next thing I know, supposed to be going this way, I'm facing this way, still going this way. The back end loosened up, fishtailed, and swung around, and I'm literally sliding down the interstate at 60-something miles an hour like this. I'm freaking out. Next thing I know, I look, and here comes an 18-wheeler. And I just realized in that moment, I am out of control. Now, you probably want to know what happens next, but I'm just going to leave it hanging. I'm just kidding. So what, what happened was the 18-wheeler, I'm, I'm, I noticed I'm drifting towards his lane, and he's right next to me, and as he passes, my van drifts over past that lane into the median and rests nice and secure. 
I survived, as you can tell. It scared the mess out of me. For the first time in my life, I understood what it meant to not be in control. I had my hands on the steering wheel. I was pushing the brake. I was pushing the gas. I was trying to figure it out. What do I do? And there was literally nothing I could do. I was out of control. Church, we are a people who like to be in control, are we not? We want control. We want to have a grip on life. We want to have a grip on the things, the circumstances, our life around us. And James is going to teach us in James chapter 4 that when we have a life of faith, a faith that works, there's a sense in which we're willing to let go of control. Watch this. As Christians with faith, we do not strive for control. Why? Because tomorrow is uncertain. But rather, as Christians who live by faith, we walk and live in submission because God is sovereign. Church, tomorrow is uncertain, yet God is sovereign. And there is something freeing for us in our lives when we can come to grips with the fact that we can throw ourselves on the sovereign God and say, have your will with my life. There's a freedom in that that we need to know and to experience. And James addresses this in James chapter 4. Let's read beginning of verse 13. It says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet do you, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would use the proclamation and the preaching of your word to do all that you long to do in our hearts and our lives this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So James now addresses the people and he says, come now, you who say. I don't know about you, but if you've had kids or if you have kids or grandkids and there's a time in your life when you're trying to communicate something to them that's important, you say, come now, look at me in the eyes. You ever said that before? You don't want them to miss. Look at me in the eye. Listen to what I have to say. Come close. Listen very intently. This is what James is saying. He's been spewing out a lot of information, a lot of great stuff. And he comes to this point and he says, now come, come close. Listen, don't miss what I want to share with you next. And he says, come now, you who say, and he's drawing them close. And what he's going to address here is this issue of walking in the uncertainty of life. So I want to give us four principles with this. Principle number one is quite simply, remember the uncertainty of life. You need to remember that life is uncertain. Now, some of you would say, well, obviously, I know that. 
But what James is saying is I think everyone understands that is whether or not we live in light of that or not is the issue. Because notice what he says there in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, the people... They made money a lot of different ways in that time period, but some of them would be salespeople. They would travel and they would barter, they would trade, they would set up shop and they would, they would go to these different cities and do this and then move on. And it was a way to earn some wealth and they were able to do that. And so what James is addressing here though is not the issue of whether or not you should have a secular sales job or not. What he's addressing is something much deeper. It's the attitude of self-reliance. What he's saying is the attitude of self-reliance and self-confidence that you know what's going to happen does not fit in line with the submission of the Christian to God's will or God's plans for his life. Let me point out a few things here. Notice what he says. Some of you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. If you look at the English translation, the word will is only mentioned there one time. But if you go back to the original language, to the Greek, the way it's worded with the grammar is actually will is with every one of these statements. So in other words, the person is saying, we will go where we want. We will spend a year there. We will make trades there. We will make a profit there. We will do it our way. We are in control is essentially what is being said. Now, it's interesting because James says, you who say, and then he has this quote here. You know, when we read this, we might think that James has heard somebody actually say this. Well, the, the, the scholars, are, are what they say is that this is not an actual quote that somebody has said. Rather, this is a literary style of what James is doing is to reveal the condition and the posture of the heart of the people. They, they may or may not have said this exact phrasing, but what James is doing is calling them out to say, your heart thinks that you're in control of your future and you're living your life thinking that, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to make a profit and it's going to be great. I have all these plans for my life. And James is saying, hold on, you need to understand that there is uncertainty in life and you aren't in control. Man, we want to be in control, don't we? And James is reminding them. So what does he say in verse 14? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In other words, you need to recognize that it is very arrogant of you to think that you can plan out what your whole future looks like when you don't even know what 24 hours looks like. Can I just be honest with you guys? This last year has been some of the greatest months of my life. But I can promise you there's a lot that has happened that was not to my planning. There's a lot of things that I would trade out in a heartbeat. There's a lot of things that I thought it was going to be this way. Man, God's called us to this church and it's going to be all great. It's going to be perfect and everything's going to work out smooth. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting here thinking, why is it not worked out like I thought it was going to? This is not a reflection on you. This is just a sense in which, man, God is being very faithful in this church, but there are some circumstances. I get to put a new roof on my house now. I get to put a new foundation under my house now. I get to do all these things. I had no plans for these things, right? But God says, trust me, it's not your plans. You don't know what's going to happen. You understand that, right? There are circumstances that come along our way, and we 
think and we say that we'll go and do these things and we'll have all of this. And the truth of the matter is we just don't know. I love watching Netflix documentaries, right? Maybe I'm a, a bad Christian for that. I don't know. Some of them probably so if I watched them. But there was one, the Madoff, uh, the Bernie Madoff one. I don't know if you've seen it. It tells the story of, of just the, the lies and the scandal of all of that. But man, it's heartbreaking, these people, right? These people who thought that they had all this wealth, they had all of this saved up for their retirement, for their lives. And then what happens? It's gone. The uncertainty of life. And James is teaching us to watch the arrogance of control that we long for, that we don't know the future and what it holds. He says, what is your life? And he asks this question. And so this brings up principle number two. Remember the fragility or the fragile nature of your life. Church, there are circumstances that come that we don't expect. But with that, we need to understand that our life is fragile. Our life here on earth is short. James asked the question, what is your life? And then he gives us an illustration to describe it. Notice what he says. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You understand that life is short. It's very quick. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. There's two families in Hendersonville that are mourning the loss of a loved one who have a freak accident of two trees falling. It can be snuffed out like this. We don't live in fear of that, but rather we walk in faith, trusting the sovereignty and the goodness of God in it every single day of our life. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. What James is doing is he's setting us up, and he uses this illustration of the mist. And it reminded me of um, when, I, when I drive across the 109 Bridge, across the river, across the lake, and, and it's early in the morning, and it's beautiful because it's just calm, and it's just peaceful, and there's, there's fog that just kind of settles over the water, and it's just unbelievable. But I can promise you it was like that this morning. When I drive back across that, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. And this is the picture that James is giving us, to remember that our life is fragile. Now, if you notice what he says next, he says, verse 15, instead, instead, you ought to say, what does it say? If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will what? We will live and do this or do that. And this brings up principle number three. It's this, that we need to remember the sovereignty of God. Remember the sovereignty of God. You see, these first two principles, principle number one, that life is uncertain and that our life is fragile, it can, it can become overwhelming. It can, it can lead us to this place of, of just fear this, this, this uncertainty. There, there's a sense in which there's a lot of people living hopeless lives 
because of the unfortunate circumstances and the fragile nature of life. And they, they, don't, they don't have a framework to view things. And what James is doing is he's setting for us an understanding to remember that those of us who have an authentic faith in Jesus, while life is uncertain and while life is fragile, there is a sovereign God that you are in relationship with that you can rest in, that becomes the firm foundation upon which you stand. And we find hope in it. So we remember the sovereignty of God, and instead of having the arrogant confidence that we know the plans and we can set it and we can determine our life, we stop and we submit to the will of God for our lives. See, there's some people who would ask this question because, again, he's talking about trading. He's talking about making money. He's talking about wealth. He's talking about some of these things. And there are some people who would ask the question, is he saying that we ought not pursue those things? Are we, should we not have wealth? Should we not gain these things? And I think that's a good question to ask. And I would say the answer is neutral and the answer is dependent upon what's going on in your heart, in your pursuit of those things. Let me, let me share this with you. I found this very interesting. Wealth, when we pursue wealth, it allows us to gain a sense of independence. There's a lot of surveys that you can take on how you view money. For some people, they view money as security. They view wealth of, man, I've got to gain all this wealth so that it can be secure. Right? For some, it's just to spend. Right? Like I, just, I get wealth so I can just spend it and have a good time. For some, it's pleasure. There's all these different views of it. So, but wealth leads to independence, does it not? And if we're not careful in a wealthy society as we gain and pursue wealth, it can cause us to a place in our independence where we become independent from God. This is what was happening in the hearts and lives of these people, which is why he's addressing this particular issue. And if you notice, it says that these people say that they're going to go to such and such a town and spending and make a profit, right? Um, And if you look at verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we live and do this or that. This and that city or this and that thing that we're going to do, what does that tell us? What he's, what he's speaking to us is not a specific issue or specific place, but rather a principle. And the principle is the arrogance in that they have left a submission to the sovereignty of God in their life. They've, they've, removed, they've become independent from God because of the wealth that they've had. And wealth becomes addictive And as you become addicted to it, it drives you further and further away to submit to the will of God and rather to pursue the pleasures of life, to upkeep what you've already obtained. And so James says, rather than make these plans to go pursue this wealth, you say, if the Lord wills. Now, it's interesting in that culture, the concept of an atheist did not really exist Most everybody in that time period believed in some form of deity, whether it was a God, multiple gods, the true living God, or some God that they made up. There was a sense in which they rested in that somehow, some way, there's something out there. And so the phrase, if the gods will, or if God wills, is not a a foreign phrase for them. It's something that, that they probably said all the time. 
But I find it interesting that James in this context, talking to the Christians, doesn't translate, doesn't use the word if God wills. It specifically says if the Lord wills. It's a different Greek word. It's, it's, it's the word that, that recognizes God as king, as ruler, as Lord of your life, as you are submissive to him. There's a sense in which we sometimes fall prey to this mentality that we want Jesus to be our savior. We want to go to heaven. We want all the good that Jesus has, but I don't know that I'm willing to call him Lord because I don't know that I'm really ready to submit. In other words, what was happening in the hearts of the people was, I want Jesus but I want to make my plans for myself. And James is saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And your role is to submit to his will for your life. Now, this is hard. We don't want to do that. We don't like doing that. Let me, let me illustrate why. I brought two things. In fact, I didn't bring them. I went to Lane, my assistant, and I said, Lane, you have a penny and a quarter. I need it. And she said, I just happen to have exactly what you need, which is why she's a great assistant. But I said, can I, can I borrow them? This is a penny. It's worth one cent. Let's be honest. It has value, does it not? There's value. Not much, but there's value. Okay? This quarter. It's worth a whole lot more than this penny. Still not worth a lot, right? But like, the, you follow me because I, I, she didn't have much more money, okay? <laughs> let, me, let me illustrate it this way. When we live our lives for our own plans and our own will, it is like us holding on to this penny. We see value in it. It's shiny. It can buy you something. But we love it, don't we? And what God is calling us in this passage is to say, would you just be willing to let go of your will and trust me with my will? And essentially what he's saying is, I need you to let go of the penny because I have something greater for you. Something better for you. You see, the reason you think that you love this is because you can only see what you can see. But I'm God, and I'm sovereign over all things, and I see all things, and I know all things, and I know the plans that I have for you, that I'm working for your good and for my glory and for my kingdom. And rather than being so hard-headed and stubborn and arrogant to think that you know best, would you just be willing to open your hands and let go and grab a hold of what I have for you? This is what God's teaching us. And we may not even understand the value of what we're grabbing hold of when we say yes to God and his plan and his will. Because I can promise you, you don't know. But he does. And I can promise you it is of greater worth and value than anything that you could hold on to and make up on your own. The question is, are we willing to submit to his sovereign plan in our life? James is saying, live your life in such a way where God's will is primary for you. Listen, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Now, some of you are going to read this literally, and like every moment of your life, you're going to say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to go to the bathroom. If the Lord wills, I'm going to wake up. If the Lord wills, I'm going to eat this burger, and it's not going to kill me. If the Lord, like, this is not what James is saying. 
But I think what he is saying is that our words reveal the posture of our heart, don't they? And if we can authentically say the Lord wills, let it be, then that is saying that we have a posture of submission in our life. So what does that mean? It means before we ever make plans on whom we're going to marry, we ask God. This means before we ever make plans on where we're going to attend school, young people, we ask God. We may desire this and that, but God may say, no, I want you here because I've got this in store for you and you have no clue what it is, but just walk and trust in me in it. Those of you who are looking and longing for a career, ask God. Those of you who are in a career trying to figure out what's next, ask God. Those of you who are trying to figure out whether you should sell or not sell your house, ask God. If you're trying to, whatever it is, you simply say, God, what is your will for my life? And then as he gives clear, you walk courageously in obedience to it. This is what he's called us to, to trust him. Listen, our God has never failed. He has never been surprised. He has never not known what was next. He has never not been in control. He sees all, knows all, has power over all. And don't miss this. He actually really loves you. You understand this, right? He's not out to get you. He's not out to undermine you, undercut you. There's a sense in which sometimes we think, God, how could you allow this in my life? Where's your sovereignty? Where's your power? Where's your might? And he's simply saying, listen, trust me. We live in a broken, fallen world, and there are consequences, and there are results of sin from ourselves, from others, and just the fallenness of nature, and that we are frail beings dying. But God has a plan, an eternal plan that he wants to do in you and through you if you'll just allow him and let him and submit to it. Listen, let me, let me illustrate this and how this has happened in my life. When I was in college, the summer after, after my freshman year, I worked at a camp in Colorado. And I was able to teach tennis there and teach mountain climbing and just, it was an incredible, I spent 10 weeks at 9,000 feet elevation with mountains everywhere. It was just an incredible experience. And after I did that, I served in a church, went overseas, did different things like that. And so it came time where I was very submissive. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then the, the summer after my senior year, it was kind of, again, this decision of what am I going to do before I go off to seminary? It was kind of like my last hurrah, my last moment to kind of do what I wanted to do before I surrendered to God and let him do what he wants to do in my life. And I found out that the camp that I worked at my freshman year had opened a wakeboarding part of their camp. And so they wanted to hire me to come drive boats and teach kids how to wakeboard and water ski up in the mountains all summer long. And I thought, this is God's sovereign will for my life. <laughs> the greatest job that I could have, I couldn't have dreamed a better job. And so I said, yes, immediately. And it was about this time of year leading into that summer that I was on a trip with the students that I was working with at a church in the town of Jackson, Tennessee. And one of the other inter interns looked at me in the eye and she just simply asked this question, Brandon, how can you go off and drive boats when you've invested your life in these kids and just abandoned them this summer? And I said, why are you opening your mouth? <laughs> and I don't know what God was doing through her, but he was using her to bring conviction in my heart that I did not submit or seek after God's will for my life. I was simply doing what I wanted to do and didn't take a second to think about it. And as I went home, and you know how this goes, you lay your head down at night and your little mind starts turning and you're like, 
girl was right. God began to bring conviction in my life, and I finally just said, okay, Lord, I don't know why, but okay. And so I said no to going that summer to working in Colorado. And I stayed in Jackson, Tennessee. It was that summer in Jackson, Tennessee, I was riding in the truck with a good friend of mine, talking about life and talking about the future, and he said, you need to come meet a guy named Todd Tanner in Hendersonville, Tennessee. So I got on the truck and that summer drove to Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I sat in the living room of the guy who would hire me at First Baptist Hendersonville, which would then bring me to the place where I met my wife, where I found the, the, the fruit of God's call in my life for ministry, where I was able to go on a short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic, where God then called me to the Dominican Republic, and I lived for two years. And during that time, God began to do in my work, a work in my heart to, to give me a, a burning passion to be a pastor and preach God's word, who then brought me back to Hendersonville. And it's through that connection that I was able to find out about this church across the river from Hendersonville, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, called Green Hill Church. Can I just say one of the reasons I'm standing here today is because God said, why don't you consider what I have for you instead of what you want to do for you? Now, let me just be very clear. When it comes to understanding God's will, it's, it's, it's tough. I get it. There's been seasons in my life when I was panicked about a decision because I didn't want to mess up God's will. Let me just remind you that God is big enough that you're not going to mess him up. He will make clear. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit living within us, church. When, when you're seeking after God and you've got a posture of submission to him, when you begin to take a step out of, of what God wants for you, he'll, he'll, he'll let you know. He'll let you know if your heart is soft and willing and able to listen. If you're submissive, there's sometimes that God's will, he's like, man, because I love you, here's three choices. Just, just do, just follow me, just be obedient, whatever, whatever it looks like. And then there's sometimes where it's very specific where God has said, this is what you're to do. Do you trust the sovereignty of God? Are you walking in it? Do you believe that he's got a plan in your life? And this leads us to the last principle, principle number four. Remember the blessing of obedience. Remember the blessing of obedience. Notice, notice what he says in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What's the arrogance they're boasting in? That they know God's will. For, that, I mean, that, that they think they can make all the plans. When we boast in that, we're walking in disobedience. But notice what he says in verse 17. So whoever knows, excuse me, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is one of the most convicting verses I've ever read. When we know the right thing to do and yet don't do it, it's sin. See, James is addressing all sorts of issues if you've been with us as we've walked through James. He's saying, you're not caring for the widows. You're not caring for the orphans. You're being greedy. You're being selfish. You're talking about people. You're having all these conflicts because of your own personal desires. 
And he's listening to all these practical realities. And what he's saying is, you're not walking in obedience to these things. This is the will of God. Church, until we just get the basics of God's will for our life, how do we expect God to reveal some of the specifics? It's very clear. Take care of the needy. Love the orphan. Bind up the brokenhearted. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. The scripture says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Obedience matters. Submission to the will of God matters. Walking in obedience to him matters. Well, how do we know? Let me, let me just give you three things real quick. Number one, we are desperately praying that God would reveal it to us. If, if you think that you can just make your plans and live your life without ever going before God, you've missed it. Desperately prayer. Start here. Prayer is not the last resort. Prayer is not for when all things have gone bad, then you come to God. You start with God. This is a heart of submission. The second one is this. You diligently listen. We're really good at talking at God, aren't we? If we're going to walk in obedience to his will, then we need to sit down and just listen to what God wants to say. Be still before God. And church, let me just remind you that the way that we listen to God is we open this word and allow the word of God to speak to us. He will reveal his, will, his word to us through his word. There are very specific things like, man, I just want to do God's will. Well, open the Bible and just do what it says. Then you're doing God's will. And then the third one is determined submission. You understand that your pride, my pride, our pride, it roots itself really deep. And whenever we submit to God, it just fires right back up and we got to kill off that pride again. This is why we looked at that passage earlier this year about daily taking up your cross and following Jesus. It is a daily determined submission to walk in obedience to him. Church, what are the things in your life that God has made very clear through Scripture or through His Spirit in your life that you need to walk in obedience to that you're not? What James is saying is if you know what's the right thing to do and don't do it, you are sinning. And so we know the sins of commission. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder, you know, all these things. But there's also sins of omission, Meaning God has called you to do something and you don't do it. You admit from doing it. James is saying, live your life in such a way, submissive to the sovereign will of God in your life. And when he makes it clear what you are to do, step in it. And when you don't, you're in the wrong. Would you bow your heads with me? As we wrap up this morning, I want to remind us that the implication that these people had turned their life against God, not by hating God or doing horrible things, but simply because they just 
lived as practical atheists. They believed in God, but they weren't willing to submit to God. What about you? Are there plans in your life you're trying to make? Have you surrendered those to God? Maybe some of you are going through a really difficult season and you've kind of pressed against God, pushed against God, and rather than doing that, maybe this morning you just need to, in your heart, submit and surrender. Say, God, I don't understand your will. I don't understand your plan. I don't like what's happening, but I trust you and I submit and surrender to you in that. You need to remember to lean in on God because he's in full control. You know, I'm reminded over in John, Jesus says this, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me, meaning his sustenance, his life, his driving force is to simply say yes to God. This is what ours ought to be as well. You know what God's will is for your life? Verse 40 of John 6 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Submitting and walking in obedience to the will of God starts with walking into the will of God, which is salvation, eternal life. Maybe today is the day of your salvation. Father, I pray this morning that as we respond and as we consider what you have for us, God, that you would find us to be a people with surrendered hearts to your will for our lives. God, forgive us for when we haven't. Help us to walk in obedience to the clear paths that you've given us in Scripture and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to respond in song. Perhaps this morning you just need to use this time as a time of surrender. Maybe that's staying at your seat. Maybe that's coming and kneeling at the altar and just submission and surrender. Maybe God's convicting you and you know that you need salvation. Pastor Casey, Pastor Ricky, myself, will be down front. Come tell us. Come talk to us. We'll be happy to pray with you, encourage you along the way. You respond as the Lord leads this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.